What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Random Car Guys. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode, coming to you with another episode from Wales, uh, Mr. Elliot Newton. Most people probably know you as Green Over Tan uh, on social media at Green Over Tan. I've known you for a long time. You know, and I was thinking the other day, man, we went to see Kings of Leon a long time ago. Do you remember that? We did. It came, came up with my Facebook memories. It was probably what? 12 years ago? Was it, yeah, was it Manchester? Yeah, yeah, it was. God. We, just... I can't remember what car we went in. I remember you had something. I, actually, I do. It was a Citroen C2. It VTS. was my red C2, yeah. And I yeah. thought I was yeah. like a junior WRC yeah. driver in my red C2, yeah. and it was just had. Sebastian Lowe. <laughs> yeah, it had nothing to give, but it looked good. Uh, yeah, mate, it's been a while. Um, glad to nice. catch up and excited to obviously, you know, it's been good to watch you kind of soar, I think, through the through the car world and social media world with everything you've done. Uh, and I know the green over tank thing was probably you surprised you probably more than it surprised everybody else. Uh, but we'll dive into that in a little, little bit, but before we do tell us a little bit about, I guess, you know, when people meet you, what do you tell them that you do and who, who you are? Cool. Well, first off, thanks very much for having me. Um, you've got some seriously big names on here. So I feel like the kind of small fish against the Larry Chen and sort of Sam Moores and stuff. But, um, yeah, I guess it, it, the easiest way it is quite bizarre being called. Yeah, I quite often have people come up to me and say, "Are you Green Over Tan?" It's like it took me a little bit to work out that like that's what people would know me by, not my name. And I get a bit sort of like, "Well, yeah, but I do actually have a name, you know. I, I, my name isn't Green, Mister Green Over Tan, you know." But um, so yeah, it's like I think. Yeah, I, in in terms of what I, I guess what people know me for is is within the kind of social media or, or um, kind of photography world. I guess is Green of Town is what made me, I guess, a bit more of a well known name as such. Um, I kind of come from as as you have as well, Mike. Quite kind of humble beginnings, and Wales is not really well known for its kind of ridiculous Bugatti Chiron Owners Club or you know, the, the Villa de l'Est and, and the biggest concours in the world, we, we don't generally tend to have any of that. So quite often now, more so than ever, now that I work for Classic Driver, I meet people that kind of ask me about where I'm from or what, what kind of I, how I kind of grew up around motorsport. And I think that was, it's, it's come from my family more than anything else. So um, my brother, I actually worked with my brother um, in the same place called Dick Lovett, which everyone laughs at the name, but, um, we can all get that out of the way now. It's called Dick Love It. Yeah, Richard Love It. <laughs> um, and yeah, it kind of, I think it, that was kind of like the dream job for both of us. Like we both have, have come from a family that has always been hugely into cars, um, and particularly kind of Mercedes and, and, and motorsport and stuff like that. So my father um, actually used to work for Paul Corner Gearboxes. Um, so he would kind of, te- he was basically a test engineer um, and would go to the kind of middle of nowhere in the North Pole and it would be like minus 30 degrees and he his job was to basically just go into this ice block of a car, just crank it over and see if it fired up and if it did and it went into first and second and third, then that was kind of job done. Um, so it was, it's, I think it's, it sounds really cliche, but it's like when you come from a family that all they have, have ever known is cars, it's kind of obvious that you are going to fall into it in some way or another. Um, 
my brother took the kind of motorsport route and did go-kart and stuff, whereas I was always a bit more, I guess, curious about what creativity around it and, and I guess the stories that people have around like the, the cars that they drive and things like that. Even, even weirdly from, I remember from a young age was, was that the kind of thing that excited me more about, you know, seeing like the crazy supercars and things like that. Whereas, and I think that's even carried through to me now. Like I, truthfully, I don't get hugely excited by the most expensive or the fastest or the craziest cars. It's, it's usually the stuff that kind of carries the, the stories quite well. I think that's what kind of, that's what I'd like to think if I, if I have some kind of legacy, it's like, yeah, green over time first, but then hopefully <laughs> there's some cool cars in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and cause I mean, obviously, like we've known each other for a while, and Tom, your older brother, we're in school together, and I've been trying to get him on the podcast, and he's busy going to the Chinese every now and then, going to New Garden, yeah. and, uh, and and working for Dick Lovett as well. And for those people listening, Dick Lovett is a kind of car dealership group back home. Uh, you know, that's that's yeah, it is a funny joke, I and mean, everyone laughs at it every time I tell them over here. You know, like. Hey, my buddy, yeah, Dick Lovett, have got some cool cars in, and they're like, "What?" And then, you know, and I, I show them like the Vulcan video that you guys had, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, like highlight moments. You're kind of pushing a an Aston Martin Vulcan into the dealership, and someone yeah. just decides to fire it up and start revving an epic V12, which yeah. genius. Um, to be honest, that was actually that was one of those things where I like at the time you should never we should never ever have done that. I, I generally think that like. If you think about it, this, this, the Aston Martin Bristol showroom was the closest thing to James Bond's kind of layer that you could ever get. It was like a pure glass, like I think it was sixty-five million pounds worth of, of production, kind of built into like the side of a mountain or it's side of a hill, not a mountain, but a hill where like the workshop was on the ground and the, the top of it was full glass, like you know, and whilst. I guess the builders have obviously spent a lot of time and a lot of money planning for, yeah, okay, there might be a V12 or might be a V8 rumbling around, or you you might, you know, somebody might run into it and it would, you know, the glass is probably designed to do whatever. I don't think it was designed to have, like, a track-only, fully naturally aspirated V12 kind of bang off the rev limiter at, like, <laughs> 8,000 RPM in it, and the flames were kind of spitting out of it, like, three three foot long. And we were kind of stood next to it thinking... I remember when it started up and I was like, okay, yeah, that's quite loud. Like, but I was stood kind of about six foot behind it where the, obviously the exhaust are at the side. So I feel like if you were stood right on the side, you, you, you would be deaf now. I think you would never, you'd never recover. So I was kind of stood behind it thinking, yeah, it's, it's decent. Like it's got this really low, like buzz. But then when he, when he revved it up high, you realize then just how loud something like that. And I, I'm amazed to this day that those windows, like, somehow, I think they were probably shaking back and forth. But, and we all kind of stopped afterwards. And the, 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 my favorite part of that video, which I guess you can link in this anyway, but yeah. um, the, the kind of reactions to everyone's afterwards, because we were just, it was, I mean, there were customers just sat in there, like, specking their DB11, just sat there having a coffee, really relaxed in, like, these different rooms. And the next thing you just hear this thing, just screaming so loud. And everyone for about an hour later just couldn't get this kind of grin off their face. Like, what did we just do? Were we supposed to have done that? Like, should we have done it? Yeah, we did it. Yeah, it was really good. Like, 
probably shouldn't do that again. So it's like every <laughs> content. Yeah, it's like every like marketer's content creator's dream, right? You're like this is epic content, and it did do a ton yeah. of views, didn't it, on Facebook? And you're like, I think I spoke just, to your brother yeah. about it at the time, and he's like, yeah, they just didn't get it at the time. But like when I showed them the reach and everything, they were like, oh, okay, I guess we get it. But they still were not happy. Yeah, yeah, I think there was definitely somebody had some kind of answers to to, to go to on that and be like. <laughs> Or some questions to be answered on it, I think. So, yeah. yeah, I don't think that would ever happen again. It's so. <laughs> so good. Well, I mean, kind of even going back a little further, like you, like you, like you mentioned, you're into the stories, and you had what was the little? I say little. What was your project in university that you started up? Auto. What was so, that? Yeah, I, I actually had a, I had a, a essentially a, a what a, I called it a British version of Petrolicious. Yeah, um, which nobody really talks about Petrolicious anymore for all the right reasons, I guess. Cause they've now gone but yeah and i looked um, them up the other day and i was like the la- last post was like august of whatever year that was yeah. like, oh that's a shame they died of kind of very public death I yeah think. um cancelled i think is the word yeah, for it so, yeah true yeah that's, that's the best way to put it um so yeah mine was called the auto union which realistically i could never have carried that name because of the brand or what was originally obviously Audi originated from Auto Union um, that's actually what the four rings of Audi is mm-hmm. so um, realistically I could never bring that into a brand of any any higher than just a university project but again I guess yeah even through my when I, I studied university I studied photography at, at um, University of South Wales and I realised quite quickly that like you either get put into this box of being a wedding photographer or you go and sit in an art gallery and kind of stare at pictures of plants for three hours and explain how they're you know, they, they convey so much to you, which I've never really been like that. I've always been a bit more, I guess, practical and a bit more, I realized very quickly that like, you can't just be a photographer. You can, if you want to, if you, you know, if you kind of hone that skill so hard, but for me, I was always really interested in the kind of graphic design and the, the videography side of it as well. So, even from my uni days, like I knew when I set up the auto union, I used it as a kind of way of, it wasn't even about the cars really. I remember um, I photographed, um, there's a guy called uh, Matthew Veal who has always has had, still has very, very cool cars. And he had a, um, a Cressida that was a, it wasn't a V12 one sadly. There is a V12 going around, but it was a, it was basically an, an ex Japanese taxi. Um, that he basically imported obviously over here and it was it was the coolest thing i've ever seen in south wales it was just like really simple car like it just had a nice bit of lowering on it a couple of old like japanese bits inside it but the story of that it was used as an actual japanese taxi kind of around um i think it was like osaka way and like it still had all the original stickers on the windows and like it still had the, the cab fit and like to me i found that so much more interesting than I guess the modified part of it, which most people would see it and think, yeah, that's really cool. Uh-huh. I actually found that the kind of realistic side of it, I guess, more appealing. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think I found like a bit of a niche. It, weirdly, it, I probably segued me or kind of foreshadowed quite well into what Green of a Tan became. And then subsequently what I now do with, with classic driver, I guess, because at the end of the day, it is all about the kind of stories that, that's what people like to read about. Um, you know, everyone kind of reads the same things in terms of crazy supercars and things like that, but it, it's often the ones that get used are the ones that kind of provoke the most, the most um, 
interaction and kind of feedback from people, I think. So. Yeah, well, and also like they're attainable too, right? Like I know yeah. it's great to watch like an eight twelve super fast or whatever, you know, on that's straight yeah. piped and you know is crashing yeah. along over in London or whatever it is. But when you're watching these videos, right? And I, the other one that comes to mind is, 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 is it Jamie who has the Mercedes that's now in Australia? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, the low rider. Yeah, like that. Like his like love, and and I think he worked at Mercedes, yeah. right? And he just loved like eighties, yeah. nineties Mercedes. And then he was, yeah. you know, which is when you think of South Wales, you don't think of low rider culture, right? And he just kind yeah. of embraced that love and and had some yeah. epic, you know, old Mercedes. Yeah. I remember you did a video with him too, saying that yeah. he's going to get buried yeah, he, in his car, right? Was it him and his kid? Yeah. Like he just, yeah, it's yeah. His story is is so again. Jamie Ray is one of the coolest guys. Again. I find it hard to believe that he was, he lived in Kafili and had this kind of, and was like an OG kind of lowrider, like was kind of back before everyone thought it was cool. He was one of those people that was pushing it so hard. I think it's like early nineties. Like he, he did it on a W123 Mercedes, like did it on, on the 124 Coupe. And like, yeah, you, you look at that and think, you know, this guy hasn't just kind of, done it for six months and thought yeah i can i i want to do it like it, it, that's his life do you know what i mean and, and he's he since moved out to australia but had kept the the, the w124 that i did in the video he's actually kept it in Gafili. it's in a, in a garage somewhere as far as i'm aware so he's like yeah like that car is is my life you know i i, I that's what kind of defined me into certain kind of genres of car culture and yeah you look back at a lot of people kind of you know when I was growing up, you go through the kind of Volkswagen phase, and everyone did the have to be like a, a you know six N two Polo on. If you had a six N two Polo on PBS RS, and you were like the coolest kid in the world. And like it's funny how now you go back. I look back at that and think like that was such a good time to be into cars because nothing was on. Like nobody could get there was no such thing as Klarna. Like nobody had zero percent APR finance. Nobody had like pop and bang remap. Like, and and I think that's like that. It, it sounds ridiculous because I'm only 28, but like that is generally a time where, yeah, 10 years ago, that was like to me that was like the biggest scene in the world. Like I remember me and my brother actually went to, um, we went to Worthersy with a group of guys all in kind of modified cars. Me and my brother went in a completely bogo standard, a 2.5 non-turbo uh, diesel 119 Mercedes that was the slowest car in the world. That was completely bone stock, so it blended in. As soon as we got to like Austria and kind of all the way through there, nobody batted an eyelid that this kind of like like sixty mil high, really like nice cruising sort of diesel. Whereas we were amongst like a BMW E46 estate that was literally like catching the cat sizes every time we went <laughs> over down the motorway. And like, yeah, it's funny you look at like those times and like everyone says it like it was so much simpler back then, but like. It did feel a bit like that, particularly in the car scene. It felt like, you know, if somebody turned up with a Scirocco on a set of Bentley wheels, that was like the coolest, you know, that was like shit. Somebody's really like, you know, taking the time to be like, you've actually found a set of Bentley Continental wheels. Whereas now it's like, it's just so easy now. And I think that the, the game has moved on so much that like, I, and weirdly, I was even actually looking at like a Polo 9N before, like a GTI now. They actually quite desirable. They quite uh-huh. you know even Mark V GTI is it golf is they kind of seen as collector cars now, and I'm like, I don't think they are, but they will be. You know, I, I have no doubt that they will be. That's the thing. I think it's we've kind of moved on very quickly. I think yeah. 
Um, yeah, money's a lot more easier to get now, isn't it? And obviously now that we're yeah. older, right, we're earning more money, we have disposable income, you know, we're not in college or university anymore. And I remember, I think me, you and your brother went to the, was it Players? Yeah. We went yeah. to Players and yeah. I was the same thing. I was like, there's just a bunch of like, quote, normal cars here, but are like modded and they look epic. Yeah. They're on great wheels. Some of them have great fitment. Yeah. I could, it was simple, right? It's like, yeah. you know, and back to your point about like, um, golf's kind of and polo's being kind of desirable now i've had like the recent kind of not realization but like i'm growing up i was always into like wrc stuff right it was like those mm. subarus and like i a friend here that has a shop that does subarus and yeah. i chatted to him last night and and i said you know i've kind of i've been trying to thinking about scratching the itch of getting you know like an 04 to an either a bug eye or a hawkeye mm you know a Subaru STI yeah and he's like well you better get one soon because like one sold last week for on bring a trailer had 35,000 miles on it sold for $66,000 yeah and yeah. like he, should, he sent me a picture of his like garage and he's just stowing them away like he's got one yeah. of every kind yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need to get that because yeah, it's back they're... to simple driving right it's just you know yeah, and, yeah it's yeah. epic I, I think there is generally like uh, like early 2000 cars exactly as you're saying a, a, a kind of bug eyed Subaru probably an Evo 8 or 9, um, like an AP200 S2000, they're always going to be worth money. But there's these cars that kind of just fit into like, they had a lot of kind of, they were quite innovative in, in the way that they were made, but they didn't have kind of entertainment screens that would go wrong every two minutes. And they didn't have like, they had traction control, but it wasn't enough to stop you. You know, it was kind of yeah. just enough to make you enjoy a car. And, yeah, I, I I would not be surprised. I mean, you've only got to look at we had we were looking at an auction the other day, R thirty four Skyline. I mean, they're always going to go crazy, but uh, it was a uh, Millennium Jade. I think it was a Spec two, which is is the one to but that is the Gran Turismo car. Like mm-hmm. that is the dream. Uh, Two hundred sixty thousand pound. That's all for. And it's like, so you you would walk past a probably well. I mean, you could probably buy a nine nine two GT three RS for that maybe. Sorry, a, a GT3 Touring, yeah, yeah, or a, a Gen One, a One GT3 RS. I think I don't want the ultimate drive. Like I don't want that perfect kind of setup driver's car. I'll have this kind of twenty twenty two year old Skyline that, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a museum I, I, compared I, I, to the RS. Yeah, yeah, like I love it. Like don't get me wrong. I, I my my dream was always an A86 Corolla. I've always wanted a, an A86. The minute that they cracked like fifty grand, I was like, "That car would have, would have to be so good. It would, it would have to be the best car in the world to crack like a hundred grand." I mean, I think, but but then at the same time, I, I understand why people are buying them because, mm-hmm. as we were saying, you know, once we kind of grow up a bit, you realise that cars will never be like those again, and and they, you know, as much as people try, those ones are the ones that are the, are the purest things, and they kind of. There's a, I mean, the best quote in the world is like, you can drive, a, like, there's no better feeling than driving a slow car fast because it, it is that thing in a way that those cars aren't that fast in modern day standards. You know, they're, they're, but it's the way that they make you feel and the way that you drive them, I think, would, would bring you so much more joy than a brand new model. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I tried to explain it to, you know, to Taryn when we came home in the summer and, I, and it's, it's hard out here, like, you know, the sun's out in the summer most of the time, right? When you go home, and I tried to explain it, that drive back home from kind of like Iweni down to the coast when the sun is shining, yeah. 
it's one of the greatest yeah. local drives that we had right in bridge end and it was like yeah. i did it in like a rental car with her and i was like i had all these memories like flooding back like all the windows are down yeah. i mean like you know i'm not in a fast car i was in my k8 probably doing it at the time yeah like, you know like yeah. bouncing off the rev limits driving like a lunatic but you know you look back and like those are some of like the purest driving moments right whereas yeah. if you try and do that yeah. in a gt3 rs you are going to be yeah. scared, right? It's probably going to be a great yeah. time, but you're also going to be like, yeah. you know, I, I don't you want to bin this into a sheep, you know? Yeah, you wouldn't get out of third, you wouldn't get out of third gear. No, you wouldn't. Gear, yeah, but yeah. it's amazing when we look back. You're right; those like kind of analog driving experiences in a car that's worth five thousand pounds or five thousand yeah. dollars. Like it's not. You know, it, you, now yeah. we're like, you know, I catch myself every night before I go to bed. I'd usually jump on, bring a trailer, collecting cars, auto trailer. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, what's popping now? You know, just kind of have a look around and, and what payment can I get this for? Right. Yeah. What monthly payment yeah. can I squeeze into this one? Um, yeah. But I think that's just the car guy in me anyway. But back to, back to obviously the, the kind of timeline of you. So you graduate uni, do photography, go to work at Dick Lovett have like a bunch of awesome moments. And one of the moments that stood out to me while, and I remember you telling this story and it might've been quite early on while you were there was the day you went and shot a few DB fours in the countryside. Yeah. So I, I was literally, I think two weeks into the job. Um, and I get a phone call from the then kind of son of, of, of the MD. And he kind of phoned me up and said, you know, you're a photographer. I, I was kind of wide eyed, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what do you want me to photograph? And he said, I'll oh, come to Ferrari Swindon um, the next day, which is actually my birthday, bizarrely. Um, and he said, oh, we, we're going to shoot some, some cars. So I, I turned up, kind of stood there ready with a camera in my hand. And a, a Ferrari 330 GTC came out of the workshop, which was at the time, like, again, the 60s Ferraris are like my dream. That was like the coolest car I've ever seen. Um, and he had just come back from like a £180,000 restoration. I think it was the first time it ever been driven since being restored. So it had still had like the covers on the seats and everything. And he was like, come on, we'll, we'll go down to, to sort of Marlborough Downs. So we went um, along kind of all the way through Swindon, all the way through Marlborough. Amazing like back roads through there. And it was kind of, the car had never been, I mean, the car had been ticked over, but it never, this was this kind of shakedown. So you kind of have this tiny little lap belt across you, you know, across you and the seat, but the seats are kind of like, no, they're not even slightly like armchairs. They're just kind of church pews, lovely seats, but like they have no kind of backing on them at all. And we were screaming down these lanes and he knew them like the back of his hands. So I kind of trusted, you know, I knew we were, we were okay. And he kind of leant across to me. So I, brakes are a bit sticky. And I was like, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't tell me that now, but yeah, like, <laughs> so I was definitely trying to photograph stuff and kind of play it cool as this kind of fresh faced kid from who just graduated uni kind of had all of these dreams of like try of being amongst these cars. And then two weeks into the job, it was like, okay, you're going to photograph like a 700 grand Ferrari. <laughs> and then we pulled up to, we pulled up to a gentleman's house who had, he kind of opened up the three garages simultaneously. And there was a, a uh, Silver Birch DB5, like the Goldfinger car was in the garage. And then he said there was two gaps there. And I was a bit like, I thought we were photographing like multiple ones. And I could hear like, like the whir of like two cars coming behind me. And the, the gentleman said, oh, my sons are just warming them up for you. And for context, like this house was like this ginormous, like looked like Downton Abbey kind of set up. And he 
I could see these two cars coming towards me and the sons were like, at the time, probably about 17 and 18 and they pulled up in a DB4 Coupe and a DB4, a DB5 Volante and, and just like turned up and the brakes were like smoking off them, like covered in like, like flies. They'd obviously just absolutely kind of bossed these things all the way around the, this, uh, this country estate just to warm them up for me. And I, I was like, we're not even driving. You know, I'm doing static photography. I don't need. I don't need them warmed up. And they're like, yeah, but don't tell Dad that because we you know we want to drive around. And I was like, these guys, they were they, they. I think they were like, I think European like polo champions and and from the age of seventeen and eighteen. So like, they they had a pretty cool life. But like, yeah, I never forget seeing three of like Britain, like Britain's most I guess iconic cars like pulled up together was like a very, very surreal. And then kind of going home then, kind of buzzing, thinking, yeah, I've got these amazing shots. Going back in the 60s Ferrari was like, okay, yeah, classic cars is what, it kind of confirmed to me, like that's exactly what I like about cars. Like, you know, some people, I get it. Like some people like going fast and some people like having the kind of modern tech and stuff like that. But for me, that was like a, a clear indicator of like, yeah, this is what makes me, enjoy like being around cars to be honest is that kind of feeling of not even necessarily going fast but just you know that this thing is is 50 60 years old and it's kind of you know yeah okay it's just it's, it's essentially a brand new car because it's been restored but at the same time it's got so much character in it and so much kind of charm about it and it's so simple in, in what it in what it is you know that like i said there's nothing to it when you when you break it down there's, just, there's no there's no kind of full seatbelts, there's barely like electric windows or anything like that. But that's what makes it kind of interesting to me. Yeah, like I, I remember seeing you post that picture and I was like, this kid's just had the greatest day of his life. <laughs> yeah. And he's on his yeah. birthday and he's two weeks in and he's just like hooning around in, you know, like just being around these these people who are just, this is their life, right? Like to us, yeah. this is just like, this is from a movie, yeah. right? Like this is not real. Yeah. But to them, like you said, they're just warming up the cars at 17, 18, whatever. Like that's just kind of the life and the world they live in. And I know you've had yeah. a, you had a few of those days at Dick Lovett, and I'm obviously you know you you moved on, and that's you know that there's reasons for you moving on or whatever. But like the other one that came to mind as well was like, and I know this is a bit modern now, but it was the 70 year thing you did with Ferrari, and I just see mm -hmm. this this reel or this video of you inside <laughs> a laugh a perter, and I was like, yeah. no way. That, that that car was actually the it was it was zero zero one I believe of. It was the first ever LaFerrari Aperta that it was it was Ferrari North Europe's car. Um and yeah, that was one of those moments where it was like, okay, like it, it kind of contradicts everything I just said about classic cars, but I was like, if I'm gonna go in a in a hypercar in a supercar, like I I and again I'd be lucky enough to go in a lot. I've been in a nine eighteen spider and they are I, I can understand why those cars are the of the value that they are. Mm -hmm. Um I guess that's the best way to describe it. And the one thing I will say though is, is again, we just for context, like we we did a, a tour all the way around the kind of Cotswolds um, for the Ferrari 70th anniversary. We had something like 160 Ferraris behind us, and I was in the lead car with with a Ferrari works driver. Um, um, I we actually had no idea where we were going. Like we were supposed <laughs> to be going down like a certain route, and I kind of got so like kind of completely like just forgot I existed, forgot my name. 
when they told me I was going in this car and I was like, I realized after that I was supposed to have this kind of note sheet of where we were supposed to be taking all these cars. So thankfully we didn't have to do like a 12 point turn with 150 Ferraris behind us. But um, the one thing that stood out for me the most on that was how Britain is just so like not geared up for those kind of cars. I think uh-huh. you, you can't, like what, I, what, what struck me so much was how wide that car was on kind of just standard you know, lane, British lanes, whereas obviously I can imagine America or even Italy and things like that, the, the roads are so, but they're wide enough that you can comfortably kind of sit that car right in the middle of the road. Whereas with that, again, being left-hand drive, I was on the right-hand side of like a, a, a narrow lane that we were literally running the cat size down on, on the right wheel mm-hmm. and basically in the gutters of the road on the left. And he was like, I can't go any further left because the mirrors are like two foot out of the car. And and yeah, you'd see a lorry coming towards you and every time I kind of squeeze up and think, that mirror is literally, like that mirror is probably a hundred grand for it. <laughs> and it's literally going to get plowed off by this, uh, this yeah. Scania lorry coming towards you. And it, yeah, you realise very quickly that like, uh, again, the the speed of that with, with everything you know, you have to, you have to, it made me understand, you have to be, you have to think about every single time you put your foot on the throttle with a car like that. Uh-huh. It's not, it's, it is a different level of speed that I think I've ever yeah. experienced. Um, again, as I said, I, I've been lucky enough to be in a 918 Spider. That was actually around the racetrack. So it, it felt fast, but it was, it was within this context, it felt, okay, it was controlled. But I remember we came down this two carriageway in the LaFerrari and he said, look, I'll, I'll give you a blip now. We'll just do it once just so we can't, you know, we, we obviously can't be seen driving it the way, you know, like you want to. But I remember it was probably a two mile stretch of dual carriageway and we came off a roundabout and I could see like a Ford Fiesta was just coming on to the, like just indicating to go round this roundabout in front. And I'm not joking within, like it felt like five seconds. We were literally jamming on the brakes to like not run at the back of it because he hadn't pulled out of this roundabout yet. And it, it, it just, I, I think we were doing like, I don't know how fast it was, but it felt like, it felt like this car could just keep going and going and going and going. And we barely got out of like third gear. So it made me appreciate that like this, these cars now have got to the point where, and, and when you think about it, that car's not, I mean, it's nearly 10 years old. I believe it probably is 10 years old now. It's yeah. not more actually. Um, and and the world, you know, you can do that speed in, a, in an electric four-seater, you know, Tesla now, it, it gives you, I think, particularly in a car like that, in a LaFerrari, when, when the V12 is kind of screaming behind you, it makes you realise how fast these cars are. Um, you just got to, I think, it made, like I say, it made me really aware of, like, okay, yeah, you couldn't use something like this yeah. on, a, on, a, on a general B road. Do you know I mean, it would just, it, 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 it defied belief for me to be honest yeah well back to your point there it reinforces the fact that like the classics are just so much you know smaller and better than just not better but yeah. like you can have a lot more fun right and and i just googled now laferrari was launched at geneva in 2013 march of 2013 so it will be 10 years okay. old very soon which yeah. is nuts to think it's 10 years old um yeah. no but you're right like the classic stuff is you know okay, some of it might break or whatever, but there's, there's character there, isn't it? And there's a, it's attainable to get into a lot of the, you know, you think of like 
uh, you know, like a 996, right, or 997 or whatever. Like, they're so much smaller than the new ones. I mean, they're still epic driver's cars. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when when does it come about that you, because I remember, sadly, the death of your, your first Mercedes in Tondi. Um, yeah. Tell me about when you got the, uh, the 190E Carat then. So I guess probably the easiest, I, I mean, the reason why I, it sounds awful, but like the reason why I did buy that car was because it was green in a way. <laughs> um, so I guess the easiest way to kind of describe it, I guess, not that I needed like a marketing car, but I was like, I mean, as a marketing car, it was terrible because it was like pastel green, not British racing green. Yeah. And it had like the weirdest beige leather, beige cloth interior when it, I would have loved to have had it like some really rich, like dark tan leather. But yeah. So as, as a as a green of a tan marketing car, it was terrible for that. But um, I guess the easiest way to describe it, yeah, is if I start like why I set up green of a tan. I suppose was actually in while I was working for Dick Lovett. Um, it's quite a cool story how it kind of came about. I guess where obviously we see loads of people. Weirdly, I guess to me now, green of a tan is, is so normal, and and I guess with Aston Martin particularly, it was quite a normal colour, particularly in Britain. Uh-huh. You'd see quite a lot of people would pick British Racing Green or Viridian Green and things like that. And obviously tan is always, that kind of colour combination has always worked with British cars. So it wasn't so mind-blowing to me, but the, only, the one that stands out and the one that actually started the, the page for me was um, a customer came in, husband and wife customer, they were an amazing um, couple who, had a lot of cars but they they used them properly they used them exactly how you'd want them to and I remember they they'd spec uh, a Vanquish Segato shooting brake which is one in 99 ever made um, and they spec it in Buckinghamshire green over copper tan um, and they we'd had an event I think with uh, Marek Reichman at the night before I think theirs was due to arrive and he they got chatting and they basically said that um, they got chatting to Marek and said, look, we've, we've got this Segato coming tomorrow. And it was, I think it was a three or four days before um, the start of the Mili Migle that year. Um, and that year was actually, I think it was a centenary of Segato. So obviously Marek kind of being the showman that he is, just so effortlessly, he was one of the coolest guys I've ever met, Marek Reifman. And he literally said, well, why don't you guys come along? Like, I'm sure we can like squeeze you in. As if, as if he kind of ran the meeting meeting. You know, it's one of those iconic racing events. He was like, yeah, we'll see if we can squeeze you in, you know? And basically, obviously, because it's more um, classic cars, they they actually ran, because it was a centenary year, they ran a modern day um, uh, run-in, I think, of them. And sure enough, literally, the car turned up, the, the, I think, three or four days later, and they secured a space with the, the start on the start line of the meeting meeting, and they drove from Aston Martin Bristol straight to the Mili Migla, did something like three and a half thousand miles in it. And like some of the footage that I saw of that was like the most ballistic thing I've ever seen of just like priceless cars, like on the outside, like literally overtaking it. It's like the Gumball Rally with a set of goggles and, and old overalls on, you know? So like they, they are like the OG kind of just daredevils, I guess. And, and, I think to, to me that kind of that personified like it goes back weirdly it goes back to the stories of it that that car really wouldn't have excited me that much like 
but I think because I'd met them and I knew the story behind it. And then when that when I was there, when I photographed the car when when it arrived, and I actually photographed it because when they came back from the Mealy Media, they drove it straight back to Aston Martin Bristol to then have this running in service, <laughs> which makes me laugh so much because it was literally, and it, it still to this day is one of my favourite cars I've ever photographed. Was I'll, I'll send you the pictures of it where it was just covered in flies and handprints and kind of stickers all over it from. You know, the mini media is one of those, those events where like, I've, I've not done it yet, but it's kind of on my, my bucket list. And it, it's just one of those events that like everything just stopped for that event and the passion in it. And I can get to that slightly from what I've experienced in classic driving a little bit. But like you can't like I can I can only imagine how much like how much thrill or how much enjoyment that must have been to just turn up at it, do that rally and then drive it back home. And as I said, the car was riddled in sort of like stickers and hand, mud and everything. But it, but yeah, the, the, the color combination was so classy on, on such a kind of lavish car that it just worked really, really well. And, and it kind of, it led me to like the, the, what I use, I guess, as my, my strap line has always been, uh, it just works, doesn't it? Because to me, like that color combination does just work and it, and it works for, more, more than than what people see it as just cars and, and I've always wanted it to be more than just like just a, an account that shares about pictures of cars because I, I feel like there's far more to it in terms of fashion and, and architecture and everything that I'm kind of into it weirdly is kind of morphed around that, that colour combination that I feel like you can make it work with pretty much anything so um, yeah and the longest kind of way around that then led me to uh, I knew I wanted another Mercedes again. I was like, I was desperate to have, I'd had a couple of old notes before. Um, as, as you said, one of them was that car was actually would be worth a lot of money nowadays. That was a, a 1994, very, very last of the line. Um, 190 E LE, one of th- the last of thousand I think ever made. And it done something like 67,000 miles from new paid like, 700 pounds from it from a hundred year old man in Devon. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. And it was, a, it was a Mac it was like the cleanest car ever. Yeah. And then yeah, a van went through a red light and wrote it off because they, they weren't the strongest. They were, they were very strong, but not structurally. They didn't really, yeah. they didn't last brilliantly. So that one, I felt like I had sort of slight unfinished business for them. I think um, like I've, uh, my, I, it comes from my, my late grandfather was obsessed with old notes and he'd, he'd had, I mean, my father's probably had 50 or 60, but my my grandfather's probably had 70 or 80. And my uncle now is probably on 100. So they're, they're all kind of quietly competing you know, with each other. And I think um, when my, my grandfather passed away a couple of years ago, and it, it weirdly kind of felt like, yeah, it felt like that, that my, the, the, the carrot du Chalet 190, Holds a lot. It held a lot of value to me. There they go. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. Yeah, um, that was the last car that he kind of you know he saw and 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 he was he was so bewildered by it because he'd never seen. A, I mean, I'd never seen a carrot Dusselet edition. And like for anyone who doesn't know, it was basically just like a if you were a wealthy banker or whatever you were in 1990 and you wanted to show off your mates that you had something a bit different than a regular 190, you take it to this uh, Belgian design house and they, it was a bit like, I guess, what Zender was, uh, AMG before they became 
the powerhouse they are now, you'd basically take it to them and just go through a catalogue of like, yeah, I want, I mean, my car was quite a subtle one in terms of, in, in compared to some of the other ones I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen some with like red leather, like headline in and the most aggressive, like color common, the most 80s things I've ever seen. Whereas mine was just like a beige with um, really a full leather dashboard um, and like a weird, like I think it was suede as the, the, the headline in and stuff like that. And it had, Obviously, had a, an original 1990s Motorola phone in the in the, uh, <laughs> in the console. ready to go. It, sadly, <laughs> it, it didn't work. Sadly, which is everyone asked me to just phone them on it. But yeah, um, yeah, it had some really weird kind of period options. But like, it, it that's what again, that's what made it stand out for me. It wasn't. I mean, they didn't do anything to the engine. So it was a two liter four speed automatic that I would always get people being like asking me if it was a Cosworth. Because it kind of sat, it yeah. sat on, it was sat really well. Like it, it had a great stance on it. To be fair, it was kind of, it looked like an old TTM car, but uh-huh. it just had no, like it had absolutely no grunt to it at all. Um, and yeah, it's weird. You know, I drive through like the centre of Cardiff in it, and it, again, I guess it, everything kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about old cars and like, you know, that car just for me, it. it I just cruised around in it. Just like you felt like you could just go in it and just unwind. And I never forget having like a, a group of guys come next to me in this brand new like BMW M5 competition that was at the time probably what 120 grams worth. Mm. And they came all put their windows down like that is cool as hell. And I was like, I, I didn't even look at what you were like. I, I like as bad as it sounds, I didn't even clock that you were in like an M5 or it didn't do anything for me. And they're like looking at this like rusty three three grand kind of old dinosaur of a car, and they're like, "Yeah, that thing's cool." And I I felt like saying to them, "You could have bought like twenty of these for the same price as that thing. You know, you probably financed that thing up the eyeballs." Yeah, like why don't you just buy one of these? You know, so yeah, you're right. So, it's, yeah. It, it just goes back to that cool factor, doesn't it? It's like someone's done something that I'm not willing to do, and even though it's you know three thousand pounds or whatever, it's still epic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so green over tan. Then, what well, you like, obviously you get started because of that story with the Zagato and, and obviously that color combination. You're shooting photos anyway, and you're taking advantage of the fact that you're in a great position where you work and you're always around, you know, pretty epic cars and going to events and whatever. And I assume at the time it was just a creative outlet to kind of de-stress you and get you out of, you know, the mundane day-to-day of shooting, you know, M3s and stock whatever's at, at any of the dick of it, you know, dealerships. Mm-hmm. And then kind of just yeah, progresses yeah. into, oh my gosh, I'm gaining so many followers to, you know, you getting invited to events and asking to do things. And I remember I was seeing it blow up and I was telling you, it's like, dude, like get the merch going, have yeah. your own line, do as many collabs as possible. And, you know, I think you were just like, it's just not ready yet, which I admire yeah. a lot because a lot of people would have done, you know, that right. Yeah. Started keying or whatever, um, you know. Yeah. And I and obviously with the new job, it seems that it kind of slowing a little bit, which is understandable. But mm. I'm interested in kind of just like the progression of it, and and then obviously kind of where it's got to and the the future of it. Yeah, it, it, you are. You it's funny. You're absolutely right. In like the, I used it. I I still used it as a as a creative outlet. You know, when you work in when you work in social media, it's one of those things that it's like, it's a double-edged sword in a way because you, 
you you love what you do, but you spend so much time on your story. You know, you're probably the same. You spend mm. so much time, kind of, I guess, absorbing stuff. And and whilst I would love to spend, you know, my entire day on it, I realised that like I couldn't do that. And then when I finished working, kind of within a social media role, the last thing I'd really want to do when I get home from work is then sit for like hours working on my phone on something else. And and I think. I've, I've always, truthfully, kind of always battled with that, that, like, I love the idea of, of, of it, but equally the, the social media side of it is, is so it is so fast and so kind of all-encompassing that, like, you sometimes you feel like, actually, I, I can't kind of manage that that much. And, and yeah, the, the, the page grew, it, it grew faster than I could ever have, have planned it to, to be honest. I, I would love to have had things set out and, you know, it's like when people say to you, the, the kind of biggest client gripe in the world is like a client would say to you, I want a video that goes viral. And it's like, that doesn't work. You know, that doesn't, you can't make a video go viral. It just happens. And, and it, you know, I'm, I'm always obviously incredibly thankful that the way that it did take off. And, and you know, even now, I, like I say, I, I don't post, I, I, I wish I could post more and I, I will be posting more. I've kind of, I went through a bit of a kind of block on it where I was like, it's kind of taken over a bit too much of my work. And I, now I can find a way of balancing it quite well. But even when I, I didn't post on it for a couple of weeks, you know, I came back and it cracked like 80,000 followers on it. It gains something like 150 odd followers a day. And, and I think at the minute I'm probably averaging over 150 message requests every day. And it's like, I wish it was like a part-time kind of admin. If anyone wants to do it, just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just replies to like, the, you know, cause it's, and, and that's what's so cool about it in a way is, is the, the, the kind of people just see stuff on the street. And, and I, I've always kind of pushed the, the random stuff as, as the bit that excites me. I think it is, I never forget one of my favorite photos I ever shared on it was um, a, a gentleman shared, uh, a, I think it was a DB, it was an Aintree greeting, Aston Martin DB9 with, uh, he had two alpacas in his garden, which are obviously brown, like tan. And he parked, he'd literally gone to the point of like parking the Aston Martin next to them and was like, how's this for a photo? And I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, you've literally rounded up your little pet alpacas, you know? And it's just like, I found stuff like that. Like, I found that people were really kind of embracing the, the idea of it and being like, yeah, this doesn't have to be you know, a, a, a 991 GT3 Touring and, you know, it's oak green metallic and it, it's tan. Like, I, I, even I will admit that, like, and I probably paid a big part of it, that it kind of, it, it got quite saturated to the point, you know, the, it, it's to the point where people were a bit like, every Porsche 911 is green. Like, <laughs> yeah. it felt like every car that came out was green. And, like, I, I'm not saying that I was kind of the the, the, the reason for that, but, like I would like to think that there's a lot of brands out there that were looking at trending colors and things like that. And I guess during kind of 2019, 2020, 21, that green was, and, and it, it's surprising because it still is that, that important color. I think it is still a color that like you're saying, even today, like, okay, Zagato is well known for doing, you know, lavish colors and things like that. But Zagato just released that Julia um, short wheelbase thing is in green and it, yeah, yeah. it doesn't have tan in it but like realistically you know even I sat back and was a bit like that car probably should have been Rosso like that car should have been red really yeah but 
like the one it was built after. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm still to this day amazed at what, like how it, it kind of came about. And don't get me wrong, like I, I it, it took me a lot of work to get it to that point. And I think that's, that was, again, the double-edged sword of it where I love what I do, but equally I'm a, I am a little bit of a perfectionist in it. And I saw it as a way of, of, understanding what people saw in in Instagram and what people kind of interacted with. And, and it grew very quickly because it was such a, a niche, because people knew what it was. And it doesn't matter if, like, recently it doesn't matter if I haven't posted in two weeks, because I think when people land on the feed, you kind of endlessly scroll on it. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, it flows. That, that's what I've really tried to do, is to make it flow as as, as cleanly as it can. Um, which which would get to the point where I would sit for like two hours, you know, trying to work out which picture would work best next to the, you know, they would kind of flow into each other. And like I said, it got to the point where I was a bit like, I, I don't, like, I'm, I'm not enjoying this anymore, so I need to stop doing that. You know what I mean, I, I never wanted it to get to the point where I thought this is a chore now because it, it shouldn't ever be a chore. You know, it, it, it's, and I think, you know, as, as you probably know, within social media, you can get like that and things can feel like I am, you, you know, you, you almost wake up in a cold sweat. Like I haven't posted anything in three days. It's like, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But it, it's about this kind of level, I guess, of particularly now more than, you know, Instagram changed. I, again, I guess I went through that phase of, of when I started it, we never did, you know, reels weren't even a thing. TikTok wasn't a thing. And, my next kind of, I guess the next progression with it would be to, to bring it to an even bigger audience like that. And, you know, I've, I've always looked, I, I mean, I use TikTok pretty every day, but like I've never physically posted on it properly. And I think there's a huge market there where people just, you know, people have gone back to the, I was talking about it the other day. People have kind of gone back to like the Tumblr days or like, like MySpace when it was like, you just share things that like you think are cool now. Like, yeah. like, you know, everyone does these kind of photo dump things on Instagram. It's like, so you're not telling me you haven't sat there for like two hours curating which pictures are going to flow in. Like everyone does it. Come on, like let's, let's get that out in the open. Everyone, nobody just goes on the camera roll and picks 10 pictures and posts them. Like it doesn't work like that. Yeah. But equally you have this kind of feeling of like, you can just post what you want now. And I think that that's what people like to see is, um, I guess I, I wanted to push a lot more of like my own, you know, now that I've got it to a point where I think people kind of knew, they know what I like and they know what I'm into. Then I can kind of carry the, the, okay, well I've styled this like this and give a bit more of a reason behind it. Um, and the, I mean, the website, I've been working on the website for like, a year and again it's one of those things that you just gradually get to a point where it's like yeah I could release it now and then you're like uh, I'll give you another week and then I'll write some more content for it but that is that's my kind of my goal to get that sorted Yeah, which will then flow into kind of merch and again I've always wanted to do stuff like that but I've never ever wanted to put out stuff that doesn't represent what the community is and what I, I would wear so I've always wanted to do something that is simplistic but very nicely done yeah you know sustainable and kind of not just put something out that you know you look at and think well, i don't know why i just bought that like i never i never wanted to put something out like that but 
um, yeah, it's it's it, it's been a weird kind of roller coaster in a way of, of how it then led me to the job I'm in now as classic driver. Like I, I'll forever be thankful that I mean an Instagram page got me like <laughs> the dream job, and and the, the kind of story around that is really weird as well. Where I obviously had the Instagram, and then my now boss, my editor in chief. Actually, he followed me on my own personal Instagram and I was a bit like you know when you kind of get like a big follower on you and I was a bit like oh that's cool like I've got like you know Orlando Bloom follows being with and like Ronnie Sieg <laughs> and things like that so there's some big names on there but like yeah. when they follow you on, on your personal one I was like okay like that's that's cool and then he messaged me randomly like do you want to have a chat sometime like I really like what you do but, so I was so like naive to it was a bit like yeah like maybe they want to do a collaboration Green of a tan with classic driver so i was like yeah cool like you've got nearly half a million followers yeah i've got seventy-five thousand. yeah yeah cool and then we kind of just casually so casually just went on a video call and he's like no nah, like i want you to work for me like i don't i don't want an instagram post <laughs> like do you want a job and i was like okay yeah <laughs> i didn't really think of it but yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's all kind of led me yeah yeah, it's so good. To where I am. Well, and and yeah. talking of collabs, I know you did a re- big one recently, right? It was was BMW USA? Yeah, yeah, that was. Um, sorry, can you hear that? A little bit. You're good. You got you got a new puppy in the house. <laughs> that's that's the, that's the older. Actually. That's Frank. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That that was that was one of those things that were like was was a dream. Was it was so surreal in a way because it was like the. I, I've always I've grown up around I guess streetwear and, and whilst I love cars fashion's always been something that I've really loved and I've always kind of you know my wife we, we, we kind of met within a, a fashion environment and fashion photography and stuff so um, we've always kind of followed clothing and stuff like that and when you know Kip is one of those brands that I think they set the benchmark so high that like every time they put something out and the, the, the speed of their collaborations, I'm like, I, I couldn't keep, you know, the, I don't know how they can have so much momentum with it. But when they, when they did the, the BMW one at first, I remember that sold out within like 10 seconds. It was crazy how quickly it sold out. And then, um, I got approached by the agency that looks after BMW USA and they, truthfully, I, I didn't, I didn't think much of it at the time because I just, it didn't seem real. It didn't seem, you know, it seemed like it was just BMW USA. We're like, oh yeah, we've got this cool project coming up. We can't tell you what it is. We can't tell you anything about it, but are you in? And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, but I want to know what it, like I kind of need to know what it is so I can prepare. Do you know what I mean? Like if you send me, you know, pictures of like a lime green BMW four with no tan in it, then, like I can't really post it, but they were really secretive about it. And they wouldn't really tell me anything about it. Wouldn't even tell me if it was like a car or, a, you know, anything more than that. Um, but yeah, it came about then. I, I kind of read between the lines that I saw Ronnie Fier had actually shared like a picture of the bonnet of the, the 1602 BMW. And I realized when I kind of turned the saturation up a bit or the, the exposure, I realized it was green. So I was like, I was thinking to myself, I said to my wife, I was like, it, it can only be Kiss because it's, they really don't do collaborations with like other car brands or whatever. And they always, you know, they've got a track record with Kiss. 
So I kind of like read between the lines and I emailed them back because they were being like really secretive about it. And I was like, if I'm reading between the lines, like, are you talking about Kiss here? Does it begin with a K? Just say yes or no. And if so, like, I am in. Like, I'm in for it anyway, but yeah. like, I'm double in if it's Kiss. And they, they never really like told me. <laughs> so, and it was a bit of a long winded kind of process to get it over the line. And like, in the end, I was a bit kind of gutted because I, I wasn't, I would love to have been more involved with it. But, at the same time, yeah, it was just, it was quite surreal seeing, um, like, a, an entire collection that was so obviously Green of a Tan. Um, you know, like, some of the accessories were just some of the nicest, you know, they, they do details so well. Um, and, you know, like I said, Ronnie Fier had actually followed Green of a Tan very early on, probably 20 or thousand followers. So it's really cool that he probably saw it then and was like, okay, yeah, that's the color combination. I wanted to use like at a certain point in time and maybe just it felt right to do it then um, and I was gutted because it, it sold again it, I, like everything it sold out within like 10 seconds I didn't get any of it so I have no <laughs> I have no proof that I, like I was ever a part of it but I've been like if they watch if they're somehow watching this I'd love to have some like merch if they go any yeah. did they did, you get, did they pay you for the collab or anything or not so that, yeah, that one was that was my first and so far only kind of real paid collaboration yeah. on it. Um, Wicked. Which was a really cool. Yeah, that was like a really big moment to be like, okay, yeah, this, this like there's a reason why I'm doing this, and like it, it, it you know, because it, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. Like, it's not it's not easy social media. Like, you know, a lot of people do it, and like it's it's not an easy thing to kind of like maintain doing that, and uh, like you know. I, again, I'm not trying to say that I invented the word over, but like when I started Green Over Town, I knew that the name just like worked. I knew that like the word over kind of worked in the middle of that. And it would stop people. It would change people from saying like, oh, that car's green with a, with a tan interior. It's now Green Over Town. And like, you know, you see it in like different points now. You see it with kind of auctions and stuff like that. And, and, from you know, people use that in a descriptive word now. And I remember chatting to um, scenes of glass before, and obviously, you know, we, we kind of always joked that like his his GP3 Torum was going to be green. Yeah. And he's like, no, like the green's dead now. You know, and he said green over tan's dead. And I was like, the fact that you just said green over tan like shows that you it's kind of in, like instilled in your brain now mm-hmm. that it, it, the word with or <laughs> and just just isn't like part of it anymore right um so like yeah you know i i guess it like i saw a lot of i remember there was an account that started that was called it's green over tan and it basically just copied every single thing that i like it copied all the photos all the captions and i was like i remember people being to me like well that's that's quite cool that you're getting people like intimate like um <laughs> you've made it people are copying you now <laughs> yeah and i was like i was like well yeah but I mean, if you're going to do it, like, do it, do something different. Do you know what I mean? Like, Green Over Time's already done. Do you right. know what I mean? Like, you know, so there's, there, there's a few, I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for, um, having like other accounts. So if I think of like a good name or something, like, yeah. I'll always make a, I've got like, I think at the moment I've got like 26 Instagram accounts. I'm that person that all with the same email. Yeah, yeah. If you think of a good name and then you type it, and be like, oh, that's a good Instagram name. 
and then there's like no posts, no followers, no like that's me because I yeah <laughs> I, could be I worth money one day. Yeah, I they like domain names, you know. I just like to sort of just keep them in a little bank somewhere. So yeah. there might be some one day I'll bring them out, you know, and see what <laughs> see what else. I was really good because somebody took brown over tan. Yeah, because I think I think brown is the next. Brown will be the color of 2023. I'm calling that. All right. Um, well, I mean, I think, talking about seeing through glass, he does have a brown jag. So you're trying to tell yeah, you're telling us that he is the first mover in this stuff, and I'm sure yeah. he would love that he, to stroke his ego. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'll give him that. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably got brown. That's, what it is. that's probably, probably what it is. <laughs> yeah, he's that, that's how he's just bought his new GT3. It's not because of his half a million yeah. subs on YouTube. He's yeah, he's just fun. got brown over tan, and he's actually yeah. doing that. <laughs> Wicked. No, you, like I hope I hope it does. I hope you get the time to give it what you want to give it right and i hope like that's yeah. the, that's the thing about like a side gig right or a side hustle or whatever you want to call it is the fact that like you do have you do give it enough time and you know the early stages are, are gonna suck right you're gonna you're literally gonna come home from working or, or stop working class driver and you're gonna go straight into working on the same stuff yeah. right? you're in the car world social yeah. media but i think you know you look back three, five years from now, and this could be, you know, this could be your your, your full time gig, right? This could be your job, yeah. right? And I know you've yeah. already made the connections where, you know, you've done the legwork, you've made the connections to, you know, I know you got invited to the GQ event and stuff like that. Like you're yeah. already making yeah. the right connections, and especially with a page like that, when you reach out to people who are following you, you know like I have a podcast, everyone should have a podcast is the easiest way to invite people to talk about themselves. Yeah. But like, yeah. you know, it, it, it could be so many things, you know, cause it goes down, especially your love of fashion and, and architecture and design. You have your own design firm or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And, you know, it, yeah. it, it could go a million ways, which is also kind yeah. of like holds you back at some point too. Cause you're like, okay, which of the 15 things I could do should I yeah. do now? Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, you yeah. could, it could be a blog. It could be anything like, and that's, that's the good thing yeah. about the website is you're just sharing these stories. And I, that's kind of why I love what type seven does is cause they're so yeah. like, just this is the lifestyle and these are the vi- and I yeah. look at the videos that they've done and you know they don't post many but their videos are epic you know this this so yeah. good uh, yeah. and you know and and there's definitely a place you know there's definitely a place for for you to do that with green over town it's just getting the time yeah. but I do want to talk yeah. about the classic driver stuff before we we finish yeah. because obviously that's how you know through green, green over town you get a job at classic driver um yeah. as a staff editor right is that that's kind of the role yeah yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. what what is that like when you you know you're like, hey, I'm gonna go wait for Classic Driver, and you know the the it's been about a year, is it? It's uh, not not even that yet. I started in June. So oh wow! Yeah, it's fairly recent, but yeah, it felt like it. it yeah, it felt like a very kind of busy. Um, kind of baptism of fire straight into it. To be honest, um, and you're working remote, right? Yeah, which so, is yeah, great. We're, that, that, which yeah, truthfully, it's taken a lot to kind of understand how that works and how, like, having worked in, a, you know, creative agencies and worked in, in, in dealerships and things like that, you, you base yourself around people. You know, you kind of spend so much time chatting, collaborating with people in meetings and stuff like that. So then go kind of completely away from that and work, you know, entirely just on your desk. And, and yeah, okay, everything is done over Zoom because Classic Drive is a Swiss space or a Swiss company um we have kind of people all over the world so we you know we have people in switzerland there's a couple of guys in london um there's a guy who lives in monaco uh i think marbella and things like that so 
it, it, it's very rare that we, although we're a small team, it's very rare that we actually all come together as one. Yeah. To meet, you know, I just, there's, there's guys I've never actually met in, in, in person. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, from, from working there, it's made me kind of understand as a, as a staff editor now in terms of what I do, it's a completely different kind of platform of, of, of work that I've done before. So I, I'm essentially, I guess, a journalist. That is kind of what I, 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 I kind of class myself as now, which, um, which I, you know, I love. I love. I, obviously, writing about cars kind of in, excites me just as much as photographing them and things like that. Um, and that's that's what I like to do in a way is tell stories about cool stories. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's where I think Classic Driver does that really well. I, you know, I'd like to think that we are kind of one of the leaders in in what we, you know, in the publication world in terms of what we write about is always at the highest possible level. And that's that's something that's kind of it's so surreal to me still, you know, that there's been times where like, you know, I started in June first week of, of working there. I was, I was in, or I think it was end of June I started. Um, and I went straight to the Google Festival Speed and went up in a passenger ride with Jensen Button in a fully electric rallycross car. And it was like, you know, they were, I remember, I never forget like FaceTime with my mum and dad being like, just so you know, like I'm in like the driver's paddock of of Goodwill. <laughs> like I'm I'm amongst like Mark <laughs> Webber who walks past. Like um, Jens and Buttons there, like taps me on the shoulder. Like yeah, come on, it's time for us to go. And they're like, you know, I could see my dad was so bewildered. Like, are you serious? Like you, you know, we've been to these events as spectators for so many years, but then you're on this completely other side of it now. That like it's very difficult to to not be like this really excitable kind of kid. Because you see people there that, you know, most journalists have done this for 10, 20 years. And for them, it's just like, cool, I'm in the zone. But but I guess it's the kind of, I guess it's the, the, a little bit of a, a, a I, always, I always say like my kind of six-year-old self would go like crazy at what the things that I've managed to do so far. And like, that's what I always, I like to kind of write in that sense of like, I am still this kind of Welsh guy that's, you know, comes from a place where we don't really have like exposure to things like this and I want to make it a bit more re- like realistic and a bit more like you know people do this every week but this is what I this is what it feels like if I did it and this is what it would feel like if a normal person did it do you know what I mean and, and I know that will probably wear off like everyone gets to the point where they will eventually I guess it becomes normal to them well that's the goal but right to me, uh, yeah yeah but but equally I, I like the idea of writing from a place of like pure enthusiasm and like, like I recently did um, the most kind of surreal trip so far was I got invited to Samaritz um, to do Pazioni uh, Engadina 2022, which is like a, um, a classic car, uh, Italian classic car rally um, where Bugatti was actually the title sponsor for it that year. So I got invited last in, in August with Bugatti to go there um, and like even just being in, in the, the train trip on the way up to Samaritz is like the most, if, you, if anyone ever gets a chance to do it or if anyone has, you don't know what I mean. It's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. Like it's this train that looks like you're going up the side of like a Wes Anderson movie. Like it's bizarre. Like your eyes can't really understand like what you're actually seeing. 
and then you kind of step off the, the, in the train station, and it's like it's like it's like a dreamland. It's like what what Forza Horizon is in a way, where it's like every other car is like crazy, and there's like a McLaren P1 rolls past. Behind it is like a you know like a pre-war Alfa Romeo, and they just get out and like grab a coffee together. And I'm like, this place is this place can't be real. Like there's, there's, people don't actually live like this, do they? Like, and, and that's I I felt the whole the, the entire time I was there. Obviously, I had to be quite kind of serious and quite you know, to, you know, I had to I had I, was, I had a job to do. I knew exactly what I was doing, but equally, I, there was this kind of like juvenile nature to me that I was like. Like I, I'm a kid in like a, in a sweet shop here. Like there's yeah. so many things that, and I, I hope like, I'd like to think I kind of conveyed that um, in the kind of footage that I did because I wanted it to be more like, yeah, okay, we're a sophisticated thing and we, you know, we know what we're doing, but equally, we still get giddy about things like this, and that you know, it, sometimes you need that kind of realism to be like, yeah, this is bonkers. You know what I mean? Like, not normal people don't get to do this, right? Um, which was then taken on another level again when um, the, the funniest thing we were sat kind of having a, a meal obviously it's all organised um, and I got given a, a, a big book like a thick kind of 100 page book by one of the guys and um, I was sat with all the Bugatti um, guys and they said oh, you're going to have to read this by tomorrow morning <laughs> and I was a bit like I mean it's literally like that it's like a bible you know, yeah. it's thick and I was like, kind of laughing along. It's all in German. It's German on one side, Italian on the other. There's no English on it. So I was like, okay, like, yeah, <laughs> like laughing away. And um, they said, no, seriously, like, you are going to have to read it. Like, and I was speaking through it, and it's pace notes. It's full Nicky Chris spec, kind of, you know, flat four over crest into tube. And I was like, like I've never done this before. You realise, like you know, I I barely been out of kind of Britain. Do you know what I mean? Like just a guy with a camera like, from I mean, Wales. A, yeah, yeah. I'm a stranger in a strange land at the best of times. But like, okay, now you now you kind of pulling my plunker a little bit. And uh, so anyway, Luigi, the guy I was driving with, who's um, his Instagram is Bugatti Expert. He's like one of the coolest guys I've ever met. Um, and he he has the best job in the world. He is head of Bugatti Heritage so he basically just looks after the old like pre-war Bugattis like talk about dream jobs that is if he ever leaves that's my job alright I'm having that <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah he basically just lent to me and was so like like relaxed about it. it was like it's fine like we'll just follow the other cars and the next day like I can't even now like I can't describe to you what that was like like we did we did 278 kilometers around the Alps like through all the way across the Swiss Alps through like Selvia Pass um, into Italy with I think about 180 other old kind of classic Ferraris, um, Lamborghini Murras and all loads of Alfa Romeo GTAs. And we were obviously, we were in a, a Type 51, 1938 Type 51 Bugatti. I think it was about 4.8 million euros worth. <laughs> it was fresh from Bugatti. Um, Dressed like a fighter we, pilot we, from World War Two, as well. By the way, yeah, like yeah, overalls, yeah. goggles, leather cap. Yeah. Like, were yeah. you? Did they? Did they that tell was, you to like prepare to go driving in the freezing cold rain with no roof? No, no. So, so you were freezing it, the whole no, time. Absolutely, absolutely not. Um, I actually, I, before I left, 
I'd had rumours that or I heard rumours that they were going to bring the, the the guy Mistral there, the, this brand new thing that they just released. That I think literally a couple of days before was in Pebble Beach or was in Monterey or something like that. So I was thinking, I mean, they were they said, "Oh, you're you're going to be one of only two journalists that will be able to drive it." Which, truthfully, I was more nervous about driving. Looking back now, I'd be more nervous about yeah. driving this like one of one sixteen million dollar Bugatti. I would be terrified to drive because that thing, you know, that thing will launch off the side of the Stelvio Pass. And probably end up in the other side of Italy. Like that thing will do three hundred mile an hour without even looking. You are Richard Whereas, Hammond. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like that was. I would be on the news. Yeah, you know, that was, that's just bad luck, kind of me. So, in a weird way, I was like, when I turned up, I was a bit like, okay, so the Mistral isn't here, so it can't be that. And then they kind of said, oh yeah, this is Luigi. Like you'll be driving with him. And I was a bit like, oh cool, like maybe we'll do some photo shoots or whatever. I had no idea that I was doing that rally. Amazing, um, and yeah, it was like it was one of those things that again, if you do stuff like this every week, it probably what I'm saying doesn't really like resonate with you. But like when I when I like I can't I can't describe what that feeling is like when you are literally on. There's no doors, there's no seatbelts, no speedometer, like no rev counter, no fuel gauge. You have two giant like fuel tanks literally you can hear the fuel like splashing against your back um where you sit the 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 engines are basically underneath or above your legs so you kind of lie you know it's like it's basically an old grand prix race car so you almost slide down in it yeah um and steering wheel is like the size of like a bus it's ginormous steering wheel and like the seat is tiny so luigi me and luigi got very close because I spent the entire time kind of lent over to move away because he physically couldn't turn the steering wheel without like banging into my legs or like move, like kind of elbowing me in the ribs and stuff like that. And like, truthfully, I was a bit like, okay, the weather is horrendous. Like, <laughs> You're getting sprayed by tires by leaning out the way of this guy yeah. who's trying to steer a car through the Alps. <laughs> and I was, yeah, I remember like sitting at the start line and it is like a full-blown like, you know, timing screen and everything. It's like a proper rally thing. And I remember we were lining up, and I was thinking, you know, this, there was a, there was two there's type 30, two type thirty five Bugattis in front of us. One of them is driven by Andy Wallace, like the king of speed, like the coolest guy, one of the coolest guys I've ever met. Like had yeah. dinner with him. He's the guy he who done the top every, the top speed runs for Bugatti. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He's known as basically just Mister Speed. Like yeah. he, he he's he's a Le Mans winner, um, developed the McLaren F1, did the, the kind of top speed run in the McLaren F1. And now works for he's basically Bugatti's test driver, yeah. um, which again is like the dream job. But he, yeah. So we were kind of sat three back, and we, we watched them go off, and like it was about a mile and a half, just dead straight, basically down like a dirt road or like a gravelly road. And I was a bit like, okay, these cars are five million quid plus. Like there's a Lamborghini Miura parked behind me. We're not going to be doing it like that fast down this dirt road and I swear even now there's probably still like stone chips on my body and like bits of gravel <laughs> we went through this, like we went down lanes I get you wouldn't know, I wouldn't know how fast it was because there was no speedometer but it felt because of, because of what you're in because yeah. there's no doors there's no seatbelts nothing it felt like we were doing 200 mile an hour from like the second we left but you kind of flow the roads 
I mean, the roads are the best in the world. Like they are the best. Swiss roads are um, unbelievable roads. And like, what I found crazy was how flowy they are. But then, because the rain was so bad, and it obviously is public roads, so you you'd get like a two fifty Luso overtake you on like the outside of of an oncoming car, and it was a bit like. I probably wouldn't have overtaken me there, but all right. <laughs> and he's kind of going down the hard shoulder, like overtaking five or six cars, pulling back in. And then you get to like a like a kind of off camber because it's quite fast road. And he like I think we were about six or seven thousand feet up, but you can't. There's clouds and you can't see anything other than just like a sheer drop. And there's like a bus on one side coming towards you, and you come off this like off camber kind of bank turn, but going the wrong way. And I, I never forget looking across, and I was like, <laughs> like talking about Luigi's like broad, like he was fully lost that way, and he just just he was holding it like, like opposite lost, and I was like, fuck, we're, we're literally sideways here at like hundred mile an hour, and I could feel the fuel was just like like kind of spur in the car to like bring more angle to it because as the fuel is like swapping round, yeah, it's then gradually getting like more and more sideways, and I'm like. I kind of looked across at him and was like, did you mean to do that? And he kind of smoked to me like, no, but like... <laughs> and <laughs> it's wet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And his tyres are three inches just, wide. Yeah. Just like, you, you can't... I can't really... Like I said, I can't describe what... Even just being on the Stelvio Pass is like one of the craziest things ever. Um, we actually broke down on the Stelvio. The car was, was good as gold. But like most old cars, it did have like a few little moments where it was like, nah. Yeah, <laughs> I need a break. Like, yeah. This is too much for me. And uh, yeah, we got, the thing we found is we, we'd end up catching up to like public cars. Yeah. So they'd be like a Ford Focus or something in front of us. And then obviously you'd see like five people just diving out the windows with like cameras and stuff because it would be a run of 20, 30 million quid of the cars behind them, which I would have done exactly the same. Right. You know, I would literally yeah. like pull over. Um, and we got to like the, probably one of the steepest parts of it and Luigi went to grab like first gear because the gears are so like long on it and it, it just it just bounced every time he went to put it in the gear it just bounced straight back out and we kind of crawled to, to a halt and the temperature gauge I think was supposed to sit at like 90 that was like the average and I think it was something like 220 it was literally like a like a kettle it was kind of steam pouring out of it oil was just dripping like we were covered in oil and fuel and everything and uh, we were parked kind of on like a blind apex of a corner just just as you come around like the top of this hill and you could hear like um, underneath or below you you could hear like the v12 coming up behind you and they were flying like they were they were kind of you know hitting the apex and yeah, stuff. yeah yeah so I was thinking we probably need to move this car now, otherwise it's going to be like the most expensive, like so rear end awesome. in history. So we, yeah. managed, we managed to get out, like wheeled the car, and because it wasn't an electronic start, it was it was a full old school like crank start. So you yeah. had to wind it at the front, um, and he just I think the car just got so hot it just thought now nah, like we're not doing this. So we sat there for a little bit, and he kind of he was shouting down the phone at people getting very kind of. A, I raced in Italian. And at that point, I was a bit like, if I got to go home now, like, so be it. Like, <laughs> I've won. Cool. Like, this it, is good. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was, you know, and it was like the perfect spot to do some photos in. Like, it was like right on the top of the cellular path. And then he said, like, one last time, just like, see if you can crank it and like, we'll put it into gear. 
and he kind of left it in gear as I cranked it. So I was thinking, if this, this is going to run me over, like if we don't, if I don't jump in it quick enough, it will just run me over. So he managed to crank it and get it going, and it, it worked then fine, you know, faultlessly all the way back. Then I think we did. The, the tricky thing was then we were trying to catch up with people. So we, that was the only time where I was a bit like, uh, as a passenger, I'm like, okay, this is probably a little bit much now. Like as a driver, it probably didn't feel that kind of dangerous and that crazy. But like w- what I found bizarre was there would be, you'd get to a point where it'd be 100, 120, and then it would just be a pure zig- zigzag back and forth, exactly like you see on like, you know, on the start of Italian job and things like that. And you just, you come out of like a tunnel at like 100 mile an hour and there's just a, just a hairpin within like 50 yards in front of you. And it's like, I would probably be slowing down by now in this like <laughs> pre-war thing with no brakes, like this smoke pouring out of it. And, but yeah, it was, you kind of, I felt like you roll over the finish line in that. And it felt like, it felt like we'd just done the meeting Miegler like in 1938. Do you know what I mean? It, it yeah. was, it was a very, very surreal feeling of just like, and it, it made me understand pre-war stuff now more than ever like I, I really understand why people own stuff like that because it, it just it's not fast by any stretch but the feeling that it makes you it makes you feel like you're so fast and like whilst the, you know there'd be people in yeah Lamborghini mirrors probably having the time of their life like screaming through the gears in in that this thing felt like it was just it just what it was what I found amazing was that it was it was so old it's nearly 100 years old but it, it ran like a proper racing car. It ran like it was just like, come on, and if we're going, if you, if you want to drive this thing fast, like I'll do whatever you want to do, I'll do it. Yeah. And and I found that bizarre that this thing is was an original race car, and it, and it was bred to do that. You know what I mean, it was it wasn't ever supposed to be a road car. It was just like it put me on a racetrack, and I'll beat everything. And that's that's what I think. Well, that's why Bugattis are so so popular now, or so well known. Um. And I also did a north to 228 mile an hour run in a big ice run. So. <laughs> that was boring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, that's, that's, that just, was, that's just plug and play, isn't it? There's no character in that. So, like, that yeah, that thanks, Andy. Over, Appreciate that it. Over, <laughs> yeah, that was over in 12 seconds. So it yeah. didn't even feel like you know, that was that was so fast that, yeah, it didn't feel like it, anything happened. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah. Mate, I got to say, like, we're going to have to do this like once every six months. Cause you're going to have stories yeah. like, you know, some of the events that, you know, that you're going to get to go to the more, the more stuff you're going to do, right. Like just, you know, six months basically of working at classic driver. And you're like, you know, you're in the car yeah. with Jensen button, you're in a Bugatti yeah. doing 280 kilometers. Like, you know, you've got, you've got these experiences. And if this is just the beginning, you know, like it, it is brilliant. And I, I love the journey and I love kind of, you know, the way you started right with, you know, I'm not surprised looking back when you look at the people, what my family does, right? Like your family's all revolved around cars. And I know what you didn't mention yeah. is your mum is an interior designer. So there's yeah. the fashion side of things as well, right? That just kind of adds to yeah. it all. So again, I'm not surprised. I'm sure they're super proud of you. It's cool to see you do epic stuff. Um, you know, like it, it, it's just brilliant. I'm glad we got to do this chat because there could be so much more. I mean, I've got some notes here. We are running out of time. I got some notes here. We're going to have to talk about the next time because I know you guys had a you know, McLaren F1 event you guys did. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, like that. that's another thing. Obviously, the mini car thing you've got on your Instagram recently. Um, yeah. You know, like, and then the other yeah. thing is the 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 Kicklow spaces, like with the 
just like that place looks epic as well. So yeah. we're going to have yeah. to bring that back for another time. Uh, when is Goodwood? Is it in May? So they do they do three events. So the members meeting is end of March, I believe, okay. and then Festival Speed is June, July. Revival September. So okay, so. we'll have to figure out another one so you can tell me about members meeting because I want to hear about that. Yeah. Um, but mate, yeah. this has been an absolute pleasure. We've talked for an hour and thirty minutes. Um, really? Yeah, epic stories, and I know that there's plenty <laughs> more. And the the content person in me just wants to keep talking, but I know we've got other things to do today. And I appreciate your time. I don't want to take any more of it, uh, but we'll have to do this again. Probably just make it a, a six month check in to see what Elliot's been up to yeah. recently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But for people listening, uh, obviously follow Green Over Tan on Instagram. And then your personal Instagram is just at Elliot Newton. I'll link those below. You can also go follow the dogs if you want. Frank and Pickle, epic dog content from Elliot with Frank and Pickle, his two little sausage dogs. Uh, I knew it wouldn't be long until you add a, added a second because that's exactly what happened to us. We got one mm. and you think he needs a mate. And then you just yeah. get two, and then if you can keep it at two, you're, that's a sweet number. Um, two, is, two is more than enough for me, to be honest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think you can really it now. But thank you very much as well, mate, because I feel like, yeah, what you, you do, you're so kind of modest about what you do. I mean, you you just come back from, you just done a very TED talk. You can't <laughs> talk was to mad. me about being like a roller coaster of a ride. We, I feel like, we need to do a podcast on you, you know? Yeah, people keep saying that to me, like, oh, when are you going to get interviewed? And I've been interviewed a couple of times, but I'm like, I don't know, like, yeah, it's cool, but it's tough. It is tough being interviewed. I much prefer being on this side. Yeah. Uh, and I never yeah. listen back to my interviews because I just don't want to listen to them. I'm like, no. uh, I'd just rather not. I'm used to hearing my yeah. own voice, but I'm not used to hearing how I explain yeah. certain things. And I've had, yeah. I've sent them to mum and dad and family, and they're like, yeah, everything's good. So, but be cool. dog's crying, needs to be fed. <laughs> yeah. Dinner cool. time. Thank Bye. you so much, mate.